Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast after a brief recess. We are back. This is David Lerman, your budget tracker. And joining me again this week is Peter Cohn, the tax and budget policy editor at CQ Roll Call. Welcome back, Pete. Good to be here, David. And it's going to be a rough and tumble July for several weeks, three or four weeks of unpredictable chaos, maybe, on Capitol Hill that we want to talk about today, because this is sort of the make or break month for Senate Democrats who are eager and desperate to pass some kind of downsized Build Back Better plan to salvage from last year as they as they now prepare to face their re-election campaigns. They would really like to have something under their belt to tout on the campaign trail. This would be it. But these these secret negotiations that have been going on for weeks behind closed doors between the Senate leader, Chuck Schumer, and the key holdout Democrat, Joe Manchin, there's, it sounds like they're making progress, Pete, but it's still pretty unpredictable. And we had the complication of the Republican leader, Mitch McConnell, throwing a monkey wrench into the whole thing by threatening to sink this other big research and tech bill to compete against China. The semiconductor manufacturing bill goes by several different names. He's threatening to sink that. If Democrats pursue their Build Back Better plan, it sounds like a recipe for real chaos here. What's going to happen, Pete? Yeah, David, you you touched on a number of things there. I mean, first of all, just say that saying this month is going to be a busy one is going to be an an understatement. I mean, I think everybody who, who focuses on the federal budget is going to have some late nights and possibly some weekends this month. So, you know, I don't want to beat around the bush here. I mean, we've got the House appropriate uh, the House Appropriations Committee put all their bills through through committee, and we just got a notice that that likely uh, not the not the week of the 11th, but the week of the 18th, they're going to take up a six bill package. We've got the transportation HUD bill, the agriculture bill, the interior environment bill, the energy water bill, military construction, VA financial services. So some of the bills that actually, you know, may may have kind of a at least some bipartisan things in there, but you know, as we saw with the House Appropriations Committee, they all went down they all went through on party line votes. So, you know, the Republicans have some sort of threshold concerns with the funding levels in these bills and some of the policy riders. So, um and these are probably the easy ones for for House Democrats to get through. So, you know, there are other bills like Labor HHS and Department of Homeland Security that are coming up later in the month that it, the jury's still out of whether or not they're even going to be able to get the votes for those. So, and of course, you know, David, as you and I have discussed before, there's not much that can happen on the big picture with appropriations until they get some sort of a deal on the top line spending levels. And, and of course, you know, that's, they're, they're still way off on that. So, you know, but it plays into the other topics that you mentioned that are, that are going to be the focus of senators this week and next, sorry, the week of, week of the 11th and, and for the rest of the month which is reconciliation and the CHIPS bill. 
you know, as we saw with Mitch McConnell, he's basically saying, look, if you're doing reconciliation, you're not going to get our help with any of these other things. So, and that includes appropriations as long as, as long as there is a partisan budget bill that is being worked on that can pass under reconciliation. As our listeners all know, you can do that without, uh, with, with just a simple majority vote in the Senate. There's no 60 vote threshold. So if you're going to load up a partisan reconciliation bill with all these things that nobody on our side supports, you're not going to get our help to pass the things that do need votes from our side, which include appropriations, which include the CHIPS bill, which, of course, the centerpiece of the CHIPS bill is a $52 billion supplemental appropriation for uh, manufacturing incentives, basically for the Secretary of Commerce to convince these big chip manufacturers to continue with their investments that they planned in the U.S. rather than maybe take them overseas somewhere. And that's a big, big deal, especially now with all the supply chain issues we've faced, all the inflation, and the fact that we're, we're basically at the mercy of foreign rivals for, for their imports for these, these really key products for a whole range of, of American goods, consumer goods. That chip money has bipartisan support. Both both parties have supported that, and it's a big chunk of money, $52 billion. And you had an interesting analysis this week, Pete, that's worth pointing out of, of one way here, in, in light of McConnell's threat, one way that, that Democrats might be able to have their cake and eat it too here in the face of in the face of his threat, if if they have to do reconciliation, there's an option here of just putting the chips money into that package. Yeah, there's a few things going on. I mean, the, the first, the semiconductor industry has two big asks of Congress. And one of them is already sort of taken care of in the Build Back Better light reconciliation bill that they've been talking about. And that's these investment tax credits. If they, if they go ahead and build more facilities, they invest in equipment in the US, they're going to get what they want is a 25% tax credit against that investment. The Build Back Better bill that's currently pending in, this, in the Senate um, has a 5% tax credit, but you can get the full 25% if you do certain things like, uh, like boost wages to the prevailing rates under the federal Davis-Bacon law, um, things like that. So you know, those are, uh, that's a bit of a sticking point. But they can maybe negotiate something there if they're able to, to get the reconciliation package going. Now, the, the the other piece, the fifty-two billion, is in the separate legislation: the USICA, the China bill, the competition bill, whatever you want to try to call it. Um, you know, that's the main piece that's in that bill. Now, there've been some dis- some discussion about putting some tax breaks into that bill as well. But given where McConnell is on that, and given the fact that Democrats are apparently hell-bent on doing the reconciliation bill, which means they're not going to get any GOP support, at least until after the elections for the the other bill, for the China bill. So what can they do? They have a few options. You know, one, Axios reported the House could simply take up the Senate-passed competition bill, which is, you know, thousands of pages and lots of things that the House Democrats don't want to swallow. But there's, you know, there there is such anger at McConnell for his obstruction here that, you know, that may be an option they want to do. It doesn't seem very likely that they would do that because there are so many things in that bill that, that, that House Democrats don't like. And it would mean thousands of pages of their own work product just goes out the window. 
I mean, what they've been talking about in recent weeks was just a, was skinnying down the entire package to just those things that the House and Senate have already agreed on that you know are basically very similar in, in the two bills. So that doesn't seem like a great option. So the other option that we talked about in our piece this week was you just take the chip money and add it to reconciliation. Now, you'd have to do a few things with the language there to make it compliant with the so-called bird rule, which prevents extraneous provisions from getting in budget reconciliation. But you could do it. It is possible to do it. Now, there's a number of reasons why it's difficult, which we lay out in the piece. And you know there are progressives on the, on the Democratic side who don't like this money going to what are very profitable semiconductor and mic- microchip companies, actually. I mean, these, these are companies that are not really suffering financially. So there's a concern about just handing them more money without any strings attached. So, you know, there's a lot, lots of reasons why Democrats may not choose to go down that road, but this is a real imperative for them. And you've got members from, who are vulnerable in their reelection races in the midterms, including key senators on the Democratic side. They really, really, really want to get this done. So, you know, it's going to be, to say it's going to be an interesting month is an understatement. And, uh, you know, I think the the caucus lunches on Tuesday in the Senate are going to be important to watch. There's going to be a lot of discussion about this. Yeah. And whether there is a reconciliation package, of course, is still not even clear. It depends if they, if Schumer and Manchin can actually reach a deal. They have made some headway in recent weeks. I mean, there is a new agreement between them, apparently on drug pricing to let Medicare negotiate directly with manufacturers on the price of certain drugs anyway. That they all, that all Democrats seem to like now. That's major headway. And then our colleague Lindsey McPherson this week had a piece out about another plan they've reached agreement on to expand an investment income tax on the profits of business owners and use that money to funnel that into shoring up Medicare, which has been a priority of Joe Manchin, we know, about the Medicare trust fund going going broke in a few years, this would address that concern. So there are some glimmers of hope here, I guess, Pete, that a deal is in the works, but it sounds like there's still a long way to go and not a lot of time to pull it off. Yeah, there's a lot of, of, of uh, moving parts to what they're talking about with reconciliation. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why adding this, the semiconductor incentives to that whole kind of combustible mix may be a little bit too much to bear, but we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, on the, uh, you know, one of the issues is raising taxes in an environment where even if you're focused on the wealthiest households in America and the biggest corporations, you know, there are sort of recession storm clouds forming on the horizon, right? I mean, we had a, a nice jobs number today, so it doesn't look like recession is imminent, but those fears are there. And if inflation continues at the rate that we've seen, or even you know, doesn't really decline substantially. The Federal Reserve is is not screwing around. I mean, they are going to do what it takes to stamp that out. And so, the more the Federal Reserve tightens its, its monetary policy, raising interest rates and and you know, withdrawing that that fisc- that monetary support we've seen, the more likely a recession is going to be. So, the tax increases are a concern for moderates like Mansion, like like Kirsten Cinema of Arizona. So, one of the ways that there's a this one big tax increase that was in one of the biggest individual tax increases from the Build Back Better bill in both chambers, both the House passed and what the Senate Finance Committee had originally put together back in December, is taking the the existing three point eight percent 
what they call it the net investment income tax. It was originally passed as part of Obamacare uh, over a decade ago. And um, that applies basically to, that's a little surcharge on top for wealthier households making $250,000 or more on your capital gains, on your, on your dividends and your interest income, and also your, your uh, passive investments in pass-through businesses uh, as corporations, partnerships, and things like that. So what this would do, and this has been around for a while now, this idea, this is not a new idea. It's not a new tax. It's already passed the house, but it would take that tax and also apply it to the active business profits of these, of these uh, small, of these, not necessarily, not all small, but of, of these pass through business structures as corporations, partnerships. So whether it's a law firm or a construction firm that is not publicly traded and is organized as a pass through entity. If they make over $400,000 in the case of individuals or over five, $500,000 in the case of joint married, you know, married tax filers, um, you're going to get hit with this 3.8% uh, investment income tax on top of that. So, you know, that's a dicey thing for a lot of, I mean, the, the small business lobby that's against this is pretty influential. So one of the things that we have, they're trying to thread the needle on this is you've got Joe Manchin, who's got a lot of businesses potentially, you know, who could be affected by, by taxes like this. He's got a long-term, long-time concern with the solvency of our entitlement programs like Medicare. So he said, okay, fine. You know, to Chuck Schumer, you want to have this tax in the bill? I'm okay with that. But here's what we're going to do with the money. We're going to use it to extend the life of the Medicare hospital insurance trust fund. <laughs> okay. Now, not by many, not by much, because it was already doing a little bit better because there are more tax receipts coming in because economic growth has picked up in, since the, the recession. So it, basically, they're saying we're going to extend the life of the Medicare trust fund by three years using that revenue. Now, there's issues, there's problems with that because in reconciliation, if you're simply shifting money around, the provision to do that, the, the language that achieves that by simply taking the money from one from a tax and parking it someplace else other than the general fund of the treasury, that doesn't score. That's that doesn't in and of itself affect the federal budget. All right, because you're just it's just an accounting shift. So that's going to be an issue they need to 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 talk about with the Senate parliamentarian in the next few days, which is is this provision allowable under the Byrd rule? Now there's some precedent for it because in 1993 they they increased the tax on social security benefits, not the tax you pay into social security, but if you're a social security beneficiary, how much of those benefits are taxed? They increased that in 1993 and they took the proceeds and they actually put a provision in the bill directing that into the Medicare trust fund. So that, you know, made it all the way through President Clinton signed it. So some people are pointing to that and saying that okay, this provision should be fine, but they're going to have to litigate that before the, the Senate parliamentarian. So anyway, a long, long-winded way of saying there's a lot of progress being made behind the scenes, a lot of discussions happening, but whether they can get Manchin on board with what they're trying to do on, on clean energy, for instance, and some of those tax provisions in, in that piece were a long way. And then, of course, you got the ACA, the Obamacare premium subsidies out there as well. So that's why there's some talk also that maybe we just need to get rid of all of these other issues and make it a healthcare only package, which takes the drug pricing deal, which everybody's pretty much on board with, and you use that money to pay for an expansion of the AC, to continue the expansion of those ACA subsidies 
So millions of people don't get those rate hike notices, those premium rate hike notices in their mailboxes a month before the elections. That's an outcome that no Democrat is, is okay with. A lot of what ifs there. And of course, this comes amid these concerns that Manchin has about soaring inflation rate. We're going to get new inflation numbers this coming week. I mean, if those are high, that's going to make things even trickier for Democrats, I think, to, to justify this. Although they're going to say this package would actually reduce the deficit and help inflation. It wouldn't increase it, of course. Everything would be fully paid for. But you know Republicans will use that as ammunition and just say this is more spending that's going to overinflate things and spur more inflation. It's just putting fuel on the fire. That's going to be a, a, a tough political balancing act uh, for Democrats to walk. Yeah, I'd say other than Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, uh, Republicans' favorite Democrat over the last couple of years has been Larry Summers, <laughs> the former right, uh, tre- right. former Treasury Secretary, because he, they've been basically, you know, Summers has been out there saying, stop pouring more gas on the fire, guys, to his party members. Stop spending all this money. We don't need it. It's too much. It's going to fuel inflation. And guess what? That happened. But, you know, Summers, his view of what they're trying to do with Build Back Better is that it's actually going to help reduce inflation because- Raising taxes is going to is going to cool off some of that demand. Cutting prescription drug costs is going to is going to help people is going to you know actually depress you know some of those costs and you know helping to spur the clean energy transition is going to wean the the economy off of fossil fuels, which of course is kind of at the mercy of what's happening in global commodity markets. And so that's a view that that's out there and kind of entrenched in the Democratic talking points on this. So. Whether or not Manchin believes that, I think he's a little skeptical of that of that point of view. But it's hard to agree with Larry Summers on the one hand, and then disagree with him on the other when he's basically making the same argument. So it's uh, you know it's going to be interesting. It is going to be interesting, and of course, Democrats can't do anything without fifty votes for this reconciliation package, and they don't even have that right now because Patrick Leahy, the eighty-two-year-old Vermont Democrat, is out having had hip replacement surgery, and it's not clear yet when he's going to be able to return to work. I have to think he'll probably be back by the end of the month. It sounds like he's recovering well. We wish him well, of course. So chances are he can come back for a vote if needed on this package, but they don't even have that assurance right now. I don't think Patrick Leahy would miss this for the world, okay? Yeah. If they have to wheel him in in a wheelchair, and, and uh, they've done that, they've done that before. Right, I mean, Robert Byrd, you know, came in was you know missed a lot of votes in in, in sort of the winter of his life, and uh, when they needed him, he was there. Like like Leahy, Byrd was president pro tem. He's got a lot of assistance, a lot of people driving him around and helping him out to get to where he needs to be. And there's a long tradition in the Senate, David, as as you as you've written about of senators coming to the rescue from their hospital beds even when they, when they need to be there. So, you know, we'll see. I think the, the more interesting thing um, when it comes to Leahy is going to be when is he able, able to get back and, and run those full committee appropriations markups in the Senate. Yeah, it does put the, the markup schedule on the Senate side in some doubt too. I mean, they can, you know, subcommittees can can move because they mostly go by voice votes. But to report bills out in full pro- of the appropriations committee, you need you need the votes in person because the committee's tied with the even split in the Senate. So if Leahy's not there, does that give the Republicans an advantage and then they can't report bills out? You know, so 
that's going to be an issue potentially there. But, you know, they hadn't scheduled anything as of yet, even before he, he had his, his accident uh, a week ago. So um, we'll see. I mean, typically the Senate Appropriations Committee waits until, you know, sometimes even September even to get to get moving with, with their bills. And so I think last year they did three bills right before, right before the August recess uh, in committee, and then everything kind of broke down from there. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, and there's still no bipartisan deal on overall discretionary spending limits, so that makes it very tough for that evenly divided appropriations committee to do its work anyway. But uh, we'll see where that goes. And as you pointed out, uh, Pete, uh, the House will be burning the midnight oil probably many nights next couple of weeks here to get their appropriations bills done. Yeah, and starting starting this coming week with the NDAA, which is going to be a you know a real test for the uh, Democrats because you know they added thirty seven billion to President Biden's defense request, which some Democrats already thought was too high. Right. That this is one of the key issues in in the in the bicameral bipartisan talks on the overall appropriations top line, which is what do we do with defense? And so you know what this vote looks like in the House on NDAA. Coming up the week of the eleventh is uh, is going to be pretty interesting. How many Democrats are on board? How many how many Republicans are willing to swallow you know certain policy provision, provisions in there? And and so you know that's going to be one to watch as well because that's going to affect. Obviously, there's no r- real dollars a- appropriated in the authorization bill. It's just an authorization bill, but that those funding levels are taken seriously um, when it gets to the appropriations. You know, when it gets time to write the spending bills, so. That's going to be an interesting one to watch this week as well. And there's some other odds and ends and cats and dogs here that they have to they want to finish up here before the recess. We should say that there was a huge, you know, we thought they had passed this major expansion of benefits for veterans, healthcare and disability benefits. The Senate passed it with great fanfare, big accomplishment, and it turns out they're not done because there was a little a little glitch in the bill. Uh, this this obscure tax provision that violated budget rules here that the, it has to go back to the House. The Senate's going to have to tweak that bill. They weren't able to do it before the July 4th recess. So they're going to have to revisit that issue on top of everything else uh, in coming weeks. Yeah, not such a little issue. I mean, boy, if there was ever uh, you know a mulligan, to use a golf term, if Democrats could ever get a mulligan, yeah. that, that would be it. I mean, that was just unbelievable what happened there. So it's what's called a blue slip. You've got to, under the constitution, the house has to originate all revenue affecting provisions. And the Senate took the house bill, which didn't have any tax provisions in it. uh, The house version of the veterans toxic exposure bill. And they added a whole bunch of changes to it, including this one little tax provision. And they forgot to tell the house about it. Now the house, to be fair to the Senate, the house had that text for several weeks, I think, before it, it got to, to this point, right before the, the July 4th recess. So this all could have very easily been worked out sooner, but it didn't. And you know, amid everything else going on, it just kind of fell through the cracks. And Senator Tester, John Tester, chairman of the VA committee in the Senate, made kind of a last ditch effort to try to get a UC unanimous, unanimous consent to fix this before the break. And there was, you know, of course, an objection from the Republican side that, you know, we're spending too much money here. This is ridiculous. We're not going to let you, not going to rubber stamp this. So they've got to jump through all these hoops again. You know, this may be the week that they're able to do that. They have the votes that passed by with 84 votes in the Senate. So it's only a matter of time, but it's just such an annoyance and it's such an unforced error 
that they have to waste time on this now that um, it's really uh, <laughs> it's it hasn't quite gotten the attention it deserves. I, I would say. Right. Uh, and then there's one other thing. You know, they they also they passed by by you know unanimous consent in the Senate. We're going to give the Supreme Court and the U.S. Marshals 19 million dollars, I believe, to uh, for security for the justices who obviously are under heavy scrutiny right now. Supreme Court justices for the Dobbs decision, the Roe v. Wade um, ruling. Uh, and you know that money flew out of the Senate, went over to the House. The House attached a bipartisan provision, but a totally unrelated provision dealing with the excise tax on vaccine doses to try to raise a little money for that fund for, to, to pay out claims for people who get injured by, from vaccines. So there's a lot of bipartisan support for that provision, but Democrats decided to, to attach that to the Supreme Court justices security money. <laughs> and so now that's got to go back to the Senate. So the Supreme Court's out of session now. You know, the justices are probably dispersed all around the world. Um, but, you know, those threats to their personal security continue. You know, that's just another one of these little issues that are, are getting hung up. It's almost like if you could decide to have a fight over anything, you know, they're, they're making that decision to have to have that fight. <laughs> They'll find a way to matter. fight if they, if there's any any chance of fighting that things get tied up, and so it's gonna. That's why it's. I gonna, mean, look, it's a midterm. It's an it's an election year. It's a, got midterms coming up, so they're going to use every possible opportunity to jockey for advantage, and everything becomes a political football, even the things that sometimes pass with unanimous consent. So I think we're in for a wild ride the next three to four weeks here where, where so much is on the line for the Democratic agenda and for Republican positioning in the midterms. Uh, so hang on to something. We'll be covering it all for you. But that does it for us for now. Thanks again, Pete, for joining me. Great to be here, David. See you next time. And we'll be back next week. Yeah.